Hey, welcome to the Living the Dream podcast. This is your host, Timmy Douglas, and the goal of this podcast is to create a community that inspires action, accountability, celebrates progress, and helps people make the right connections to take that next step towards their dreams and goals. If you're looking for any one-on-one coaching to pinpoint your purpose and start taking steps in that direction, make sure to contact me on my website, workwithtimmydouglas.com, or on social media. On that note, let's get into the show. All right, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Living the Dream podcast. Today on the show, we have Brian DeMint, who is the CEO of Salt and Light and the author of Bitcoin Evangelism. Brian, how are you doing? I'm well, Timmy. It's a pleasure to be on the show. I appreciate it. Of course, man. Happy to have you on. And we like to jump right in. So if you could start with telling us a little bit more about yourself and what you like to do for fun, that'd be great. Well, I've been an entrepreneur for 14, 14 years. So I started, um, my wife and I started our first business when we were 22, right out of college. Um, we had saved up a bunch of money through college to buy a house, but that was during the 2008 financial crisis. Nobody was going to give us uh, a loan for a house. And that turned out to be one of the best things ever um, because we took that capital. We started investing in, in our first business and that's snowballed into you know a chain of locations. Um, we invest you know with with our um, with salt and light. We invest in small local businesses. We help with operations and and really to kind of reaffirm our community, kind of help uh, help create robust business locally um, where we live. So that's that's been really cool. And then about ten years ago, I became fascinated with Bitcoin. I actually was really skeptical of it at first, and through my study of it, a deeper a deeper study of it. I, it it won me over, and so um, I was a Bitcoin skeptic. Now, uh, very much a Bitcoin evangelist out there, out there trying to tell people what it is because there's a lot of misconceptions about it, especially right now. Um, there's a lot of headlines about you know crypto as an industry is in the headlines. There's a lot of fraud. There's a lot of exchanges that are that are doing really shady things right now. Um, Bitcoin is is actually the first ever moral monetary system we've ever had. And so I think it's really important. I'm a Christian. And so I believe that um, economic systems matter. I think the Bible talks consistently uh, through Proverbs about um, uh, unbalanced weights. Um, I think it's something that that, that God really doesn't like is, is unbalanced weights. And, and you hear that multiple times throughout the Proverbs. And uh, in fact, the uh, the only time... It, when Jesus in his earthly ministry, the only time he ever shows righteous anger, he just absolutely mad was when people were um, doing a morally corrupt financial system inside of the temple. Um, when the money changers in the temple were uh, ripping people off, Jesus goes in and throws over the tables, fashions a whip and actually whips these guys out of the out of the temple. So I do believe um, it, it's part of partly out of my religious conviction, but also partly out of my my just American ideals that I think people should have a fair set of rules that 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 provide for equal an equal playing field for everybody. So, anyways, yeah, as you can tell, <laughs> I'm very passionate about it. Um, I think it is important, and uh, yeah, that's why I'm out doing the the book tour right now. The book's done really well. It's been uh, on the Amazon bestsellers list since the second month it came out. I got you. I got you. So, would you say that's kind of your passion project? Like that's what you do for fun? Kind of dive in and share about Bitcoin. Yeah, that's that's I've been on the book tour since that that launched in June. And so I've been doing conferences. I've been going to um, some some little speaking engagements and stuff like that. Uh, and so it's that's been my my main focus for the last six months or so, um, because I think we're we're in a, a really strange economic time. There's there's all sorts of weird things going on. We've got war in, you know, in Ukraine. We've got inflation. We've got all these kind of 
macro factors, big economic factors that are converging right now. Um, and I still, I think it's more important now than ever to help educate people, to help level people up when it comes to financial education. Um, in addition to that, it's really, it's allowed me to venture outside even of the US. So we uh, we sponsor uh, a young man named Alessander and he's in Southern, uh, four, four countries in Southern Africa. And he's going around and essentially helping to educate um, Africans on, you know, just general financial education, um, but also on Bitcoin and, and how they can um, use technology to kind of leapfrog the old system. Um, in developing nations, it's one of the really cool things with technology is sometimes in developing nations, they skip entire generations of technology. For example, um, in Africa, there was never really landline telephones, but in Africa, smartphones are, are prevalent. Like sometimes the technology is so good that developing nations are able to, to leapfrog a generation. A lot of Africans are unbanked, but Bitcoin is helping to bank Africans on a level that we'd never seen before. So they're, they're actually like leapfrogging the whole banking era and going straight to digital currencies. And, and it's unlocking a lot of financial freedom for people. Um, this guy, this young man, Alessander, he has this really cool quote. I, I think it's an, it's an African adage and I'm going to probably butcher it a little bit, but what he says is there was once an African man and he was given two things. He was given gold and he was given wisdom. And, and, and the reason why this is, you know, this is a popular adage because in Africa they have abundant resources. They have a lot of resources, but Africa has always been kind of, um, subjugated by other, by other nations. And so, um, why does Africa typically remain poor in many areas. And it's so the adage goes, yeah, an African was given two things. He was given gold and he was given wisdom and he, he forgot the wisdom and then he spent the gold. And it was just, it's just this really sad adage about how Africa has had these things at their fingertips, but there was just never that financial education that came along with it because there was just a lot of subjugation by outside forces. And so now we're seeing an equal playing field, probably for the first time in Africa's history, where they're able to compete on a worldwide scale. Um, so there's some really, really cool things happening um, in the Southern African countries with Bitcoin. Yeah, that's really cool. I've heard I've heard about some crypto stuff and digital currency stuff helping out tech in Africa, but I didn't know it was to that extent. So that is really awesome to hear for sure. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Um, tell us a bit more about your motivation. What really gets you up and keeps you going every day? Yeah. So I, I get to get up and do a few different things. I have four kids. So I love, I love being a dad. Um, we homeschool and you, uh, you can see behind me, we got like, I mean, this whole wall behind me, uh, you know, is, is our desk for the homeschool. Um, my wife is a phenomenal teacher. And so I get to uh, be the entrepreneur that has a flexible schedule and I get to you know participate in my kids, uh, education to some degree. I, I usually get to take over uh, PE. So, um, three days a week we do jujitsu a couple of days a week. We do it out in the garage. So actually in, in a little while here, we have another jujitsu class tonight. Um, so I get to help train the kids, which is awesome. My kids love to wrestle. And so it's a lot of fun. Um, and so just being able to, uh, disciple my kids to, to pour into my kids is a, is a huge motivator for me. Um, I think it also, that translates into how I see other people. Um, I used to view entrepreneurship and business as something to, um, make money advance. And basically you would help other people by giving them a good product or service. Like that was kind of the extent of where you help people. And in doing that, in providing a good product or service, like capitalism says that like, if you do that well enough, then you're going to make money at it. And so my end goal with entrepreneurship early on was very much just like 
to be successful and judging that based off of how much, how much money I made. But now being a father, seeing other people, seeing my employees or customers through the the lens of kind of a fatherly eyes, I really want to help develop other people. I think it's really important. I think there's a lot of people I, I was raised by a mom, single mom, um, and I didn't have a, a dad pouring into me. And so I think it's really important as, as men, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of need for women in influence too, but I think there's a huge calling for men that uh, that have a passion for other people to give our time and our skills and whatever wisdom we have and pass that on to other people. And we have interactions every single day where we're able to interact with people and just pass on maybe little snippets of wisdom. And sometimes it's taking people, taking them aside and, and, and hopefully pouring out a big lesson, but sometimes it's just little interactions. So to me, that is a huge motivation um, and it kind of keeps me on my toes no matter what gear I'm in, whether I'm in dad mode, whether I'm in business mode, whether I'm in Bitcoin mode or whatever it happens to be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you love being a dad. You love the discipling your kids part specifically of being a dad, but also just getting to pour into other people and build them up with that fatherly lens is kind of the stuff that gets you up and keeps you going. Yeah, absolutely. I love it, man. I love it. I'm curious. I usually don't um, ask questions like these, but you seem like you are really strong in your faith and everybody typically has a journey um when they get to that point of being strong in their faith so i'm curious what some of the like uh barriers to your strong belief were so what were some of the hurdles you had to jump about your con- like your conception about who god is in mm. your life what were some of the truths you had to know to get closer with him that's a great question man <laughs> really really <laughs> good you. question um so I'm not going to bring every answer back to Bitcoin, but in the way the way that I said earlier with where with Bitcoin, I was really skeptical at first. And then through my study of Bitcoin, I became a Bitcoin believer, a Bitcoin evangelist, because I thought it was really important. I was very much that way with my with my faith. I um I like to pride myself on being a uh I'm not an academic person. I I, I don't know. I, I like to be some. I like to think of myself as somebody that thinks through things, right? I don't just take something at face value, and so um, I was very resistant to, I think, God's calling to, um, you know, before I was a Christian. I think Christianity sounded kind of woo-woo to me. It sounded like a little mystical, and so um, there was a lot of there's a, there's a lot of reason to um, from the outside without before you dig into the Bible. There's a lot of reason to doubt to doubt it, right? Because you just hear like little tidbits of stories and they just sound crazy and fantastical. And it sounds like somebody just made them up. But when you dig into it, you can see the the, the weightiness and the truth to it. Um, and you see how powerful this movement um, that God's done throughout time. There's just this linear, consistent story throughout history um, that that as far as recorded history basically goes back, um, God's been working through that. And, uh, and, and to me that, that was really powerful. And so that's what kind of drew me in at the first, in the first place. But then even once I became a Christian, I think one of the things that, that was preventing me from really having a super deep conviction and, and being kind of more fearless, I guess, in my faith, um, was just those, those, those doubts, like the general questions that young people have about God, like how can a loving God send people to hell or how can, um, you know, how do we, how can we rely on the Bible? Like, how do we know it's an accurate source and those types of things? And I think that, I think it's really important for us to challenge those things and ask those questions. I think a lot of people are afraid that they might find the answer um, leads them away from God. And so they don't challenge their faith. Like they want, they, they're just kind of scared. So they stay in this middle ground, this like lukewarm area. But I think that if you dive in and you genuinely try to study those questions, um, 
I think you come out on the other side refined, like it's like metal going through a refining fire um, and studying and, 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 and just little things like this. Like one of the biggest, I think, apologetics points from scripture that I, that I saw that was really encouraging to me was um, when I, you know, when I doubted maybe the reliability of the gospel account is the reaction of the apostles towards Jesus before the resurrection and after the resurrection, like the disciples were written about. And if, if they were fabricating a story, if they were just making something up, they would have made themselves look like heroes from the get-go, but they looked like idiots and fools all the way through Jesus's ministry. And they even showed to be cowards. Like they denied Jesus in the most important time. Um, and then so where they wouldn't even want to be seen with Jesus somehow on the other side of Jesus dying, something happened. And now that the, the disciples or the apostles were so sold out for Christ that they were willing to die and be tortured for that, whatever they saw. And so to me, that's a really powerful, like inferential point um, that it's not taking what the Bible says for granted. Like, oh, the Bible told me this. And so I'm going to believe it. It's like, no, you can like examine, you can cross-examine the Bible. You can put the, the Bible on the stand and, and question it. And because it's truth, it lives up to that validity. Um, and, you know, I've, I've, I love to interact with um, Mormon missionaries. And one of the things with, with Mormon missionaries I find is that they, they don't like to challenge on like an academic level. When I ask them something about, you know, scripture, um, they, they just kind of keep coming back to this idea of, well, we're really just all about asking God in our heart, if this is real or not. And so there's, there's certain faiths that really try to suss out any kind of questioning or any kind of analysis of it. Um, but that's what I love about the, the, the Christian church is that in Christianity, we're about being bold in the truth of scripture, like scripture is true. It's going to stand up to your, to, to my weak little challenges. Right. And so that process was really encouraging to me. And so I feel confident that I can go into a boardroom meeting with other, with other men that I highly respect, or I can go into a room with people that are maybe physically intimidating and I could talk about God and I could share about my faith because I genuinely, I genuinely believe it's true. And there was a point where I didn't quite know that. Um, but I was willing to challenge it and I feel a lot more grounded in my faith because of that. Gotcha. So once you got in, apologetics really helped you kind of get that conviction that you have now of like, man, I'm so confident in this because I've been through it and I've been refined as a Christian. Yeah. And that, that was early on. Um, that was a process I went through, but I've also seen God actually work in my life. So I have seen that mystical woo woo stuff <laughs> play out in my life where I'm just like, I mean, there, I have some stories where ah, I don't like to be the guy that walks around and be like, God talked to me or th this happened. But I had some moments in my life where God directed my steps as clear as day. And I'm so grateful he did. Like things could have turned out really wrong or really bad had he not directed those steps. And so I've seen the evidence in my life. So I've seen, I've seen and felt the presence of God, but then I can also on an academic or analytical level challenge it. So I've, I've seen both sides of that. Um, but yeah, I think that was the first step. The first step was to challenge those doubts. And what took you from skeptical into Christianity again? I'm trying to remember, but I need you to run it back for um, it. Well, well, really, like I wasn't that skeptical um, before I became a Christian. I just never really thought about my, like, I think I just thought I'm an, I'm an American, so I'm a, a Christian type of thing. I, I grew up in a house that didn't really go to church. And so that, that until I was in middle school, maybe early high school, I'd never even thought about these things. And so it wasn't until I 
started going to church that I kind of became skeptical and I wasn't probably, I was maybe a seeking, a seeking person at that point. Um, but I wasn't, I wasn't skeptical until a little bit later on. So there was, there was, there was a whole like cascade of things that happened. You know, there was a lot of uh, social things as well. You know, I had a friend group come around me that welcomed me into the church. So it, it was kind of a weird time in my life where I was being welcomed into the church, but I didn't know like what I was getting into and stuff. So um, yeah. So how did I go from non-believer? It, it was like, I wasn't really a skeptic <laughs> until I was like approaching the faith in a serious way. So um I don't know how to, how, yeah, how to articulate that very well, but um, yeah, before I was just oblivious. So like previous in my life, I was just completely ob- oblivious to God. I got you. I got you. So there wasn't a lot of resistance to going to church in the first place, but when you right. got there, skepticism started building. That's when apologetics kicked in. Yes. You grew more firm and you also experienced God actually working in your life throughout that process. Yes, exactly. Gotcha. Okay, man. Love to hear it. Thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, man. I, I love I love chatting about it. <laughs> cool, man. Well, let's go ahead and jump into your dreams and goals now. Tell us about your vision for your life and your company. Hmm. Hmm. Well, that's another fun question. Um, I feel like I'm at a crossroad uh, right now in my life. I think if, I'm at a point right now where I'm sounds weird, but I'm play, I'm praying pretty consistently for God to close doors in my life. <laughs> now, that sounds strange. There was a time where all I would pray is, God, please open up more doors. Please open up more doors. Um, I'm 36 now, so I'm not old, but I'm not, I'm not super young either. Um, and I remember thinking throughout my twenties, you know what? Nobody, like I was a pretty respected guy. I feel like in my twenties, I was already an entrepreneur and stuff like that, but I could see that even if I, I, you know, if I said something like people still kind of treated me like I was the young, the young guy. So I, I told myself in my twenties, I'm going to, I'm going to hustle. I'm going to grind. I'm going to work hard. Um, because by my thirties, I'll have experience under my belt. Um, but then by my thirties, maybe people take me a little bit more serious too. Cause there's just, a, there's just an age thing. Like it doesn't matter how smart you are, how good you are or whatever. There's always going to be like the, ah, he's 23, you know, he's 25, you know, that kind of thing. And so, um, back then I was just always praying for God to open doors and he's grace, grace, graciously opened many, many doors. I've been able to do, do lots of different things. I've, I've done, um, MMA fights. I've done, I've done, I've done, I've gotten to do like competitive snowboarding in my life. I've gotten to do all sorts of really wacky and off the wall kinds of things. Um, because God's just allowed me to pursue different passions and, and fun things, uh, in my life along with entrepreneurship. But now I'm at a, I'm at a point where I want God to like hyper-focus the next chapter of my life. I think that <clears throat> without sounding doom and gloom, I, I'm actually not doom and gloom, but there's a lot of, like I said earlier, a convergence of a lot of really, um, massive economic factors coming into the world right now. And so I want God to, I'm asking him consistently to like narrow my focus, to help the most amount of people through this next era, whatever that is, whether that's a short era, I don't know if that's a, if that's a year long or if that's a, you know, five years or 10 years. And I, I really see we're at the end of a, like a hundred year cycle, um, of, of debt. And, and we can get more <laughs> into economic stuff if you want. Um, but there, there comes, if you study economic history, there's essentially uh, currencies, they go through life cycles, and we're getting towards the end of the US dollar currency. And so I see that um, in those times, kind of like Joseph in Egypt, um, I don't know how familiar everybody is with the Joseph in Egypt, hopefully everybody remembers their Sunday school <laughs> from when they were kids. But Joseph, he became the number two most influential person under Pharaoh. 
And God gave him a vision that, and I'm not saying that God gave me a vision. I'm just, I'm, I, I studied this from history, but God gave Joseph a vision that, that there was going to be famine. And so he encouraged Pharaoh to store up grain. And so when the famine came, Egypt was a powerhouse. They had surplus goods so that they could help the most people. People from all over the world came to get uh, and do business and, and barter and get some of the grains that that Egypt had because they had a, a, a vast resource of that. I see something like that coming. And so um, that's the doom and gloom part. But that's why I call my book Bitcoin Evangelism because there's 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 a there's the just like with the gospel and and Bitcoin's not equivalent to the gospel, but in the same way that to understand the gospel, you need to understand the bad news in order to understand the good news. With what's going on nowadays, there's yes, there's lots of bad news. There's lots of terrible things that can happen, but we do have a technological advantage that we never had. And so I my dream right now is the next two to three years, I see myself being an educator. And helping people understand finances, helping people understand not to in, not in order to get rich, not in order to go out and like, hey, I'm going to make you a millionaire overnight, but to have good uh, a good and robust understanding of how sound money works. It's going to be the number one way that people can protect their families. It's the number one way that churches are going to be able to be like Joseph in Egypt and and get you know to store up resources so that. Churches can do ministry on a level that they never thought they could do before because people will be in, in need of, of what they have. So I think it's really important. We're at, we're at this critical time in history where, yeah, I, I want to help people understand this as much as possible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love that. And so we got so far praying for God to close some doors in your life, narrow your focus so you can help as many people as possible in the next chapter of your life. Any other dreams or goals that you want to chat about? Well, as in, in terms of a, a short-term goal, I uh, I mentioned earlier I do or I did MMA back in the day. I still do competitive Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um, I love to I love to grapple, and so I have uh, next month I have the the uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu World Championships in uh, Southern California. So it's uh, people come from all over the world, and it's in Anaheim. And so I'm I'm in training right now for that. So my short-term like fun goal as far as as for as far as uh, just things I get to do that are fun that I that, that really um, drive me and motivate me. Uh, it's that, and so there's there's such a a strange thing that happens when you go and compete in jujitsu. It's a weird thing that the first time you meet this person, you're like you're you're doing combat with them, and uh, it's it's really strange. And you see this person, and you go hard, and you 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 fight and wrestle for you know five six minutes or however long the match is, and then afterwards, I've seen this a hundred percent of the time. There's a weird, deep connection that happens after you do combat with somebody and you're always friends afterwards. Like it always is this thing where like, okay, all right, man, that was a great match. Like what's your Instagram <laughs> or what's your, you know, what's, are you on Facebook? Are you on Twitter? That sort of thing. And, uh, you know, it, it's so funny. Um, actually last night I did a, I did an episode for, for my YouTube channel where, um, about a week ago, the first guy ever that I fought in MMA, we had a really good fight. I mean, it was, it was a really competitive fight, but we just beat each other up back. You know, this is like eight, nine years ago. And he reached out to me and he's like, Hey man, I have some questions about Bitcoin and economics and stuff like that. I said, Hey, can I, can I film this? Can we like record this? And so we have an interview where like, I haven't seen this guy for eight or nine years. And uh, the last time we got together, we were fighting each other, but now we're, we're homies and we're talking about, you know, being dads and, and economics and all this kind of stuff. So 
it sounds weird. It sounds like uh totally bro, like, oh yeah, I like to fight with people. But I find that it's like when two brothers wrestle and hash it out, like something happens. Really, you bond on a different level. So it's uh it's my strange uh my strange passion. Hey, there you go. I love it. So are you trying to win the championship? You're just trying to have a good performance. You just to- <sighs> I'm trying to win, man. I I uh I feel like I, my, my training has been really good. I've been training some with, with some world-class guys um, and I've been doing pretty well. And so I, I'm feeling my, my confidence is at 100 right now and uh, I'm in good shape. Um, I'm a pretty big dude. I'm six, five, like 215 pounds. And so um, like, I'm like, I just feel like, like I'm pretty lean right now and I feel strong and fast and all that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm ready to get after it. Um, it's so funny, man. I know people, people that like aren't into to martial arts and stuff like that. I don't know where you sit on that, but they're just like, you just said you want to help people. And then like your passion is like fighting people. And it's like, I, there's a, uh, you know, almost a yin and a yang to it. Um, but it, it, it all ends in, in a pretty positive vibe. So, yeah. I love it. What's that a uh, really popular Brazilian jujitsu school? Cause I know David green from the bigger pockets podcast has taken up jujitsu and I, it's like, for some reason, the name Katie is popping up in my. Is it Gra- Gracie? Yes, Gracie. Yeah, yeah. The so the Gracie family they started um, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu as we know it back in like the '60s, and they brought it to the United States, and they just started training people out of their garage. Like they were they they went to Torrance, California. It's like pretty close to LA, and they were training celebrities like. Um, Al Bundy from the show married with children was like one of their early students and like just, um, just random celebrities like that. And so it grew and grew and grew and they were actually the family that started the UFC. Um, and so that, yeah, they, they had a challenge like in before the UFC existed, they would put out an ad in black belt magazine. They said, we think we have the most powerful martial art and we're willing to challenge anybody that wants to come to our dojo. We'll give you $10,000 if you can beat us. And they had this in there and people would show up and they would just record it on VHS, like old school cameras. And they made a ton of money. And then uh, a Hollywood agency saw these, these, you know, videotapes and they said, would you like to do this in a one night tournament? And so there's this whole cool story about how the UFC started and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, that, that Gracie family, they were the ones that started it all. There we go. That is so cool. Yeah. Um, are are like people who are they going to be there at the world championships? Dude, the Gracie family is huge. So there will be people from the Gracie family, but it, um, man, you, you will have to do like a whole episode on this one time or just even talk off air. Cause it's, it's a long story. I've read like the, uh, the family history of them. There's probably like 300 Gracie family members in existence right now. Like they're everywhere. Um, and they, and it's by design. The, the patriarchs, it was two brothers. Um, this was a couple of generations ago now, but they actually like, it's, it gets kind of weird and twisted, but they actually like had a, a harem of women that they would go out and find like the best, most athletic women. And they would like breed with them to create these super athletes. It's very, that part's very weird. And I'm not like endorsing that by any means, but they, so they, you know, they're like these superior Brazilian, Brazilian athletes that came to, uh, to the United States. So it's very strange in how it started, but, but to say that like this family intentionally bred. And so, yeah, (laughs) there, there's a lot of them. Yeah. That is crazy. (laughs) That's wild. But you know, that is, by far not the craziest thing you hear about history at all. No, so. no, no. <laughs> cool, man. Well, what are the top one to two skills that are required for you to develop right now to make your mm. dreams and goals come true? Mm. So it, it's funny. 
when you see, like I used to always see businessmen and uh, if they ran a successful business, I remember thinking, okay, I need to go ask that guy everything. Cause I, I guarantee he has every answer, like his skill, every skill you need in business. He's probably a, a he's probably a master at. And uh, as time's gone on and I've gotten to know more successful business people that couldn't be further from the truth. <laughs> so, um, and it's certainly not true with me. Um, when it comes to accounting and like the financial side, and it's funny because like the financial side of business um, in terms of like balance sheets and profit and losses and like really digging into the books, like that's something that I'm constantly like learning more about and like learning how to fine tune that element of it. Cause I didn't go to school for business. And so um, I think I kind of have the, the, like, just get it done type of mentality. And so I'm even finding myself, somebody who's been an entrepreneur for 14 years, going back and like having to learn the basics on certain things and just like, okay, what's the, what's the appropriate way to read a balance sheet in my business to understand, you know, how successful is my business right now? Like, I know, you know, we've been growing and we've been opening more locations and all that kind of stuff, but like, did the financial sheets really justify that and stuff? And so, you know, the skill that I've had, thankfully, that's gotten me to this point that I was okay at was um, I was always in, I think it was Dale Carnegie or there was a, some famous person and maybe it was Andrew Carnegie, the steel guy back in like the 1800s. But he said that he goes, I'm not the best. I'm not the brightest. And this guy was super, super wealthy. Um, he goes, but I'm really good at getting the best people around me. And so that's something I've always been pretty good at is finding people that can do a job and that can like be the perfect fit for our team. Um, but as time goes on, I want to be de more developed in each of those areas because I feel like I can help and coach people better in their roles. Right. And I know how to, to look for those people and, 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 uh, extract their, their value to the company a little bit better. If I can, be more proficient in each area. So yeah, here I am a 14 year old, uh, 14 year entrepreneur um, that probably needs to learn the financial side of business. I can, I know economics, I know macroeconomics, I know how the stock market works. I know how monetary systems work, which, so it sounds like I should be like a, an economic or a, a, a financial wizard, but there's microeconomics that I'm still learning very much. I got you. I got you. Okay. And what are the highest impact daily actions that will tick the needle forward? toward your dreams and goals when i get up if i make my bed i'm like that's that's probably the number one thing i can do um starting uh by the day by being proactive um by not not delaying getting stuff done because it's so easy I, I found that in seasons of my life where i'm just like you know what i'm just gonna i'm kind of mill it in the first part of the day um that's just that I, I'm not productive. I'm not effective that way. Um, and I find that like the day gets away from me and I lose a tremendous amount of productivity. So as far as for me being effective in any area, whether that's like the sports that I'm in, whether that's in business, whether that's when I was like writing my book or now that I'm like promoting the book and all that kind of stuff, I need to get up and get after it um, on the day. And, and then I, I find that my productivity goes up exponentially. It's not just like, you know, you would think if I lost the first half of the day, but I worked the second half of the day that like, I would only get half the work done. No, like I get like four or five times more work done when I am effective at the first part of the day. Like I could even take the later part of the day and kind of like slow down in the later part of the day. But there's something that happens. Like, um, I, I do a, a lot of, uh, like study on flow state. Um, I don't know how, if you're, you know, if you've ever studied flow state, but man, 
your ability to, when you get locked into a rhythm and you can turn off your phone or keep your phone in another room and, and, and remove distractions from you and get in a really productive mode. Yeah. You don't just become twice as effective or 50% more effective. You become hundreds of percent more effective, um, at, at getting things done and absorbing information and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I think that's a really important discipline that I, that I need to have. So I say making the bed, um, but that's just because it's like the first thing you could possibly do, right? Like if I'm, if I wake up with the mentality of like, ah, I'm just going to let the bed go this morning, like that snowballs into a bunch of other really small microscopic bad decisions that lead into bigger bad decisions. Hmm. I love it. Uh, have you ever read deep work by Cal Newport? No, no, I've never read that. What's it about? Oh, gotcha. Yeah. I mean, it talks about that flow state and flexing the muscle of doing deep mm. work. And he blocks huh. like if you do two 90 minute sessions of deep work every day for the rest of your life, you will be eons ahead of mm. everybody you're competing with. Because when you can get into that flow state and you know the muscle and you know how to get in the muscle and you're like doing it at the same time in the same place every day, your body gets in the habit of it you will, um, you'll just be a beast. So yeah. What's the name of that book again? Or the author? Cal Newport. Cal Newport. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to Newport. look it up. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm sure if you, if you know about flow state though, you've read some other books that are essentially going to have the same info, but I was going to say, yeah, that, that synopsis sounds like, you know, definitely have heard that before, but I just, it's always fun to hear different people's takes on it. So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. There we go. Well, what is the character trait that you most need to develop right now? to make your dream life come true. Man. Um, hmm. Sorry, I, I like to have a faster answer for you. Oh no, um, you're all good. The, the, so you said the character trait that I need to develop to make my to make my goals, to accomplish yep. my goals. And like patience, discipline, focus, consistency, mm. accountability, those are some of them. You 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 might have a lot of those already honed in since you've been in the game for fourteen yeah. years. Yeah, but... no, man, I'm I'm not. Yeah, I don't want to be arrogant. Like that's because there's there's always areas of weakness. I, you know what? I would that's you brought up accountability. I'd say that when you get into a leadership role, um, I think people are afraid to challenge you a little bit. Um, and so I think that's an area that I have to be more mindful to um, encourage people to challenge me. Because yeah, my employees, like they don't want to pop off to the boss, you know, or like people that I'm helping in business, like if I'm doing a nice thing and I'm going out of my way to help them, um, I might say something and they're just like, ah, I don't think that's right. But you know, he's being nice and he's helping me. So I need to, you know, I need to just listen. Like I need to be cognizant about encouraging people to either challenge me or to hold me accountable. If I, you know, I said, I'm going to do something and then I don't do it. Um, I do have a few employees that will do that, like, uh, managers and stuff like that, that over the year we've developed a relationship where they feel like they can call me out. And, uh, I find that those interactions are very effective. Um, but not necessarily everybody in my life probably feels like they have that same kind of access where if they were to ask me, like they absolutely do. Um, but I probably don't uh, go out of my way to tell them that as much as I could. So accountability, I'm glad you brought that, brought that up. Cause I think that is important. Love it. There you go. And, and so on the flip side, if you're somebody that works for somebody, um, then don't be afraid to hold people accountable. Like, um, don't be rude. You know, like I, I've had, I've had employees there or people that I've worked with or whatever that, um, maybe what they said was right, but they were just being really vindictive maybe in the way that they said it. And I'm like, just like, okay, 
what you said wasn't wrong, but like, if the point is to have a peaceable resolution going forward and like to have a constructive criticism, like, please just be like more, more, more respectful. So if you come at your boss or you come, you know, want to hold somebody accountable that maybe is above you, by all means, feel free to do that. They actually will probably respect you a heck of a lot more. Just do it with tact. Just do it in, do it in love. Um, and it's it's pretty hard to dismiss something that somebody says when they're right and when they're being humble about it. So that would be permission on both sides. If you're the boss, invite people to hold you accountable. If you're not the boss, feel free to hold them accountable. Just, just be smart about it. There we go. I love it. Yeah, it can always be intimidating to hold somebody in authority um, accountable, especially if they are a bad boss, right? Like there are some bosses yeah. out there that are just bad bosses and are emotional or don't give that space. So um, be yeah. smart about it, like Brian yep. said. <laughs> For sure. Oh, also read how to win friends and influence people. If you're curious about how to do it, <laughs> Dude, you know what? That's crazy. You said that I just, I've just finished chapter one today. I've, I've read it before. I've read it like multiple times. I was just listening to the audiobook. I put it on my, in my car. I'm like, I'm going to listen to how, how to win friends and influence people today. That's so funny. You said that I just listened to it like three hours ago. <laughs> yeah. Such a good book. Such a good book. I uh, yeah, I love it. Well, awesome. Before we move on to the next question, I want to hear more about, um, the business you started at 22. So we've mm. kind of heard about Bitcoin evangelism. We've heard about salt and light. Tell us about the business you started that is like opening up more locations and stuff. Yeah. So there's a reason why, because <laughs> I don't talk about that business. Well, it's a cool business now, but it sounds really funny. Um, it was my wife's idea. But when we came out of college, we started a tanning salon. And so, um, so it, it is one of those people were like, Hating's lot, right? So what we recognized early on was that um, our customers, like, yeah, you get the like the older lady that was coming in for a tan before she went to Hawaii and that sort of thing. But we um, we were in a part of Southern California where there was actually a lot of professional athletes, a lot of motocross guys, a lot of MMA. That's actually why I got I got into MMA because a lot of our customers were were these athletes and stuff, and so. They were coming in and the, the first thing, the first time I can remember professional athletes coming in for like pertaining services for some sort of therapeutic reason um, was I had these three customers that were uh, from Thailand. They were Thai, they were Muay Thai fighters and they were very dark skinned already. And I said, Hey, you know, we'd see them every week and, and they'd come in and I just asked one day, I'm like, yeah, I know you guys said you guys are fighters, but like, if you don't mind me asking, trust me, I don't mind the business, but like you guys already have a you're already pretty dark. Like, why are, why are you getting, you know, more tan? And what they said was when they would go to these fights, they would, uh, when your opponent kicks you in the leg, if you have lighter skin, your skin, your skin reddens more. And so the judges at the end of the fight would see, oh, they have all these red marks all over them. And so they would get decisions voted against them by the judges. And so the darker they could be, it would show, it would show less damage on their body. And so it was just this weird concept. So that, that was kind of a funny early story, but then, yeah, we got more and more athletes coming in and it's because people are starting to wake up to the importance of vitamin D. And so um, vitamin D is a fat soluble uh, vitamin. So people, when they take it orally, not everybody uh, synthesizes vitamin D the same way. And so the best way that you can get vitamin D, your skin regulates it better than any other type. And so you have to be smart about it because if you overdo it, you can damage your skin. Um, and if you damage your skin enough times, then you can get things like skin cancer and skin aging and all that kind of stuff. But if it's, it's like broccoli, like broccoli is really healthy for you. But if all I eat is broccoli and I just gorge myself on broccoli, I'm going to die of malnutrition. Like there's a, there's a healthy way to eat broccoli and an unhealthy way to eat broccoli. Same thing with sunshine. And so 
we uh, got more and more customers coming in for like therapeutic, like their doctors would prescribe them to come in um, because they would be, you know, seasonally depressed or they would have low vitamin D and therefore they'd be at higher cancer risks and thing like things like that. And it's a crazy concept. Like that was mind blowing to me that doctors were actually encouraging tanning <laughs> to prevent cancer, not, not to, you know, because you, I always heard like, Oh, give you, give you cancer. Um, but then uh, a few years after that, we we diverted from a tanning salon into a light therapies business. And so we started getting into infrared saunas um, for people that had arthritis and, and uh, muscular recovery issues or people that were post-workout and they wanted to recover faster or they were detoxing. Um, we do infrared saunas and we also do things called the uh, uh, red light therapy. So it kind of looks like a tanning bed, but it's all hyper intense red light and it helps heal scarring. It helps things, uh, skin conditions like psoriasis and all sorts of things like that. So um yeah, the business took off and it started growing. Like when we were a tanning salon, people were kind of interested in it. But when we became a light therapy business and we started helping people um, with all sorts of conditions that they were previously taking medication for, like that's the coolest thing ever when somebody has arthritis and they said they've been taking pain medication for the last 10 years. And because they're using the infrared sauna, they don't have to take pain medication anymore. Um, that's awesome. That was super rewarding. And so once we leaned into the light therapy side of the business, that's when it started growing. So we have a few uh, locations in Southern California right now. We're, we're in the process of developing another one right now. Um, and so, yeah, it's just been good and it's been growing. And uh, that my, my encouragement to people is uh, to constantly, if you ever start a business or if you're, I mean, this is, this is any type of work you're in, think about how you can develop your role. Like if you're an entrepreneur, how can you develop your business? How can you keep up with the times or how can you evolve um, to, you know, to where the market's heading? Um, same thing in your role. I mean, you could, you could be an accountant, you could be in any position in a company, but you can look outside of the box. I mean, I, it would have never crossed my mind a couple of years before to start a light therapy business, but it was by going into the tanning business. And then we saw a niche market. It was niche at the time and it's actually become a very big market. But we we saw this and we were able to take advantage of that. Um, and and again, by taking advantage of it, helping people. And so you can do that in any kind of role. Like how can you evolve your role to create more value for the people around you? Maybe the person around you is your boss. Maybe the people around you are your coworkers or maybe the people around you are your customers because you're a business owner. Um, but the the one of the worst things we can do in work life is to just be apathetic and just accept things for the way that they are. Um, now, you can't get to where you're just always trying to change everything, but I think it's good to have a kind of a humble mindset on how can I improve? How can I make things better um, than they are right now? Mm. Yeah, I love that. I think walking through the world with that lens on of how can I add value to people is A, like what entrepreneurs do, but bringing it to the like where you are now, like in your role, say you're making $40,000 as an SDR, how can you add value to people in your role right now around you, the customer, all that good stuff. I think that's a really good perspective to highlight for sure. Thanks. Just curious. Um, a lot of entrepreneurs have trouble getting leads. And so you don't have to share tricks of the trade if you don't want to, but um, what is the way when you guys launch a new site, how do you guys generate leads for that site and get it profitable? Mm. So it, it really kind of depends on, on your business. Um, I think, one of the best things is I'm a big believer. And if what I'm doing, people are going to want it, um, then I'm okay with a loss leader. I love getting people. The, the hardest thing to do with a brick and mortar location is to get somebody to step through your door the first time. And so if you can encourage people to come through and step through that door, like 
most of the businesses we do, it's come in, get the first time free. Um, now there's things like retail that you can't necessarily do that with. If you're selling clothing, if you're selling coffee or something like that, that can be a little bit harder to do because you don't have customer resource management software. But a lot of the things, the people that we like to help are things like gyms where you do uh, maintain records of people coming in. You know, when somebody's first time coming, when it's first, somebody's first time coming through the door. So if you have some sort of service-based business, which which is a lot of what we do, get people in the door. And, and I mean, look at, like the old Netflix model or like the app. I don't know if you ever signed up for, for an app on your phone where, where it's like, it's a seven day trial. You put your card on file. You're not paying right now, but you do a seven day trial. And at the end of the seven days, you get, you, they, they start charging. You can cancel before that. No harm, no foul. You could do that with, we do that with business all the time where you, you give them 30 days, come in, do your first month, work out, come in, do light therapy, whatever, come and get massage or whatever you're going to do. Like, let us sell you on this. Let us make this part of your life because people don't like to undo their routine, right? If you're giving somebody a healthy, uh, a healthy new discipline or a healthy new, um, you know, part of their routine, they don't want to undo that. So if you can lock them in for a week of, of like, man, we got you in here three days a week. You did, you were doing the infrared sauna three days a week. You're feeling really good. The last thing you want to do is cancel, you know, like you're going to be willing to pay that. Um, especially with our business with, with light therapy, it was a, it's kind of a new type of business for most people. They've heard about it. They've read about it. Um, but that might not be something that they, they might need to be won over on at first. And so we're willing to, because we believe in our services, we believe in what we do. Um, I think that we're, we're willing to do whatever we can to, uh, to get people through that door the first time. So, um, be welcoming, be encouraging, get people excited to come through that door. Um, and you know what? I, I I have friends in business that that think that giving things away for free totally under undervalues your business and that it takes away the value proposition of what you're offering. I, I just don't subscribe to that idea. I think that once people, once people feel it, they totally get the value proposition. And then they feel like you're being generous because I think the people that say, oh, you got to charge for everything and you got to charge a premium service and all that kind of stuff or a premium subscription. Um, you know what? I, I just, I think that sometimes customers don't realize, like, I, I think you're giving people an opportunity to recognize that you believe in what you're doing. And so we do think that there's a high value here. We just want you to try it because we know it's going to change your life. I think customers get that. And when you have that level of conviction in your business, um, it, it's contagious it, people feel it. Absolutely. I love that. And people naturally reciprocate, right? So when you come at them with that level of belief, they're going to start to believe in your product more. When you mm -hmm. come at them, giving them free stuff, adding value to their life, they're going to want to add value back to your life. It's just how we work. So, yep. And uh, you, you sound like a reader. So have you read raving fans before? I have not read raving. Fans. Okay. Raving fans is like, it's the easiest read. If you, if you read, I, I read slow. So it takes me a while. It takes me a few days, but if you're a quick reader, I mean, it's a small book. You read through it in probably a day, um, but it's just like it's 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 this corny little story. But you walk through, and it's just like, um, like little anecdotes or little yeah, almost little parables about customer service. But the whole goal, the whole point of the book is how do you create raving fans in your business? Not you know, not just a satisfied customer. That's the whole thesis of the book. Is that you know most companies say we want satisfied customers. You don't want satisfied customers. You want raving fans. You want people that are marketing for you. Um, some of the most successful, I was talking to my buddy. Um, I actually don't own any part of his gym, but he has a really successful gym here in Southern California. I was just talking to him today. And 
he has, he doesn't spend a dime on, on marketing. His business is booming. He has about 2000 people walk through the door every single day at his gym. It's, it's a big, it's like a 20,000 square foot gym, but it's popping all the time. And I look on his Instagram feed and I, you know, he has probably, they probably repost whoever runs his social media. It's like one of his employees that just does it while you know she's on the clock or whatever. They repost like 30 or 40 people's stories of, of other people posting about the gym. Cause at the gym, you, you take pictures of yourself and you know, you love to brag about it. And I said, man, that's crazy. You guys get like 30 or 40 people posting about you every day on Instagram. And he goes, oh, he's like, that's the tip of the iceberg. We probably get like 200 people posting about us every day. Those are just the ones that we repost. And he has raving fans. Like he has people that are selling his business and not only selling his business, but they're, they're doing it organically. Like they're not paid to do that. They're doing it because they want to. And so when you can get your customers to become raving fans, and not like stop making the goal in your business to have satisfied customers. If or if you're an employee, don't don't have the goal to have a satisfied boss. Have the goal be to have a raving fan in your life. Um, I mean, it's just that that's just you can when you say that you're like, oh, I see how that makes for a successful you know enterprise, whether that's your business or you know your your work life or whatever. Yeah, no, for sure. I I've heard the raving fans. Um kind of, I think I read a podcasting book and it was talking about if you can get 1000 raving fans for your podcast. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yep. Um, I love it. If there were one or two people that you can meet right now and they really help you take the next step towards your dreams and goals, this could be a type of person or a specific person. Who would that Mm -hmm. person be and how would they help you? Man. Yeah. I don't know the specific person, but, um, I never, like, I, like, like, like I met, (laughs) Uh, like I mentioned before, you know, I, w- I was raised uh, by my you know single mom, and so I didn't have like a strong male influence. I uh, later on, like when I got to high school, I had some strong male influences, like in terms of pastors and stuff at the church, um, but never like that that mentor that was just always around, and especially in my business life and stuff. So I think that it's funny because I'm 36, and uh, I think a lot of people from the outside probably think I've got it together, like the business is you know, is done well, and I'm a you know best best-selling author and all that kind of stuff. Um, I would love, I would still at this age, I would love a mentor. I would love somebody that has been through highs and lows. Um, that that's, they could tell me that, you know, when they're, you know, 70 years old, they could, you know, and, and I can see, man, you're really, really successful. Like how have you made it to 70 and you're still successful? And, you know, somebody that could tell me like, yeah, well, I'm successful now, but like, you didn't see the years where it was a grind or where like I had had some success and then things dropped off. Like I would love to learn and glean from people like that um, because I love to read history. I, I think there's a lot to be, to be read from like bio, learned from bio, biographies and things like that. Um, but I would love to have a mentor in my life that like had that real world experience. Um, so yeah, I think that that's something that, that I would like, um, yeah, I, I think that would, that would probably be it. That would probably be like the, the figurehead. So I, yeah, I don't have like a, a person in mind. So if you have somebody, <laughs> no, I have a 65 year old mentor, you know, let them know. We'll do. We'll do. That's what we'll be on the lookout for. Now we're going to jump into our thriving three. First question. What's your favorite book, movie, or podcast? Pick one. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, of course I would say the Bible, uh, but I'm, I'm for, for the entertainment of your show, I'm not going to say that. Uh, uh, cause that, that actually is, that's good. Um, okay. So this is really bad. So this is like the opposite of the Bible. It's actually kind of a bad movie, but, um, I take encouragement from it. And so have you ever watched the movie, the big short? 
Yes. Yes, I have. Okay. Okay. I'm not suggesting your 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 viewers go out to uh, to watch this movie because there's actually a part with like some nudity in it and stuff. Yeah, so it's it pretty rough at times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of a kind of a gross movie on some parts, but I do like the fact that um the the whole kind of narrative of that movie is about these guys that that they thought outside of the box. Um, they they found something. They found a flaw in the financial system. They they found like they they were the guys that discovered the the 2008 financial crisis before it became a crisis. But they figured it out like years ahead of time. They figured it out in like 2005. And so everything that they saw was telling them like, hey, this collapse is going to happen. And so they they knew they were right. Um, they thought it was going to happen in like 2006. And so they made these big investments based on that information. And it turned out that it didn't happen until 2008. So these guys just had to eat a dirt sandwich for years, even though they were right. They knew they were right. And everybody's making fun of them. And so you had to see like this, this adversity that they had to go through knowing they were right, but being unable to prove it and just having to wait for the thing to happen. And so I think that that's so important for entrepreneurs because there's like, when I started my business, um, there, we were talking about how to, you know, how to get leads and stuff like that. When I started my business, I wanted it to be making money right away. Like the first year I lost money. The second year, my wife and I made a combined $4 an hour. Like, you know, it, the, you, but so I had to change the metrics at which I, I knew we were doing something. I knew we were growing. I knew customers were loving their experience. I knew we were, we were getting raving fans and stuff like that, but I had to change the metric instead of dollars, instead of how many sales we had that day, I had to look at how many new customer signup forms we had. That became the currency that I, that I counted at the end of the day, because I knew like, just like those guys in the movie, they knew that they were right. I knew we were onto something, but I had to kind of change <clears throat> temporarily the standard by which I was judging our success. And so, yeah, it was new customer acquisition. It wasn't dollars coming in. I knew if we got enough new customers acquired that over time that they would lead to new, more new customers and they would lead to more new sales. And sure enough, it did. Um, but that, you know, movies like that, movies like The Big Short, as, as weird as they are, as worldly as they are, um, I find encouragement in seeing the suffering of other people. I mean, misery loves company, right? Like when you're going through a hard time, you love to see that other people, you know, went through something and, and came out and, and, and it was all gravy, so. There we go. Yeah, I didn't uh I didn't notice that part of the movie specifically. And I like that you pointed it out. So that's really awesome. Cool. And what's one way you like to take care of yourself? I love to be active. Um I, I gotta I gotta move. I gotta work out. I love uh training jujitsu, man. If your customer if you're if your listeners don't train jujitsu, I think it's becoming very popular. Uh, Jiu-jitsu is like spreading around the world. Everybody's talking about jujitsu right now. Um, but there's a reason. There's a reason. Because like I said, you know, like, uh, you know, I've become friends with everybody that I've competed against. Um, even more so, the guys you train with every day, it's some of the like the tightest camaraderie that I've ever experienced. Because you roughhouse with the boys for an hour. You're just dripping sweat. You're exhausted. You're tired. You got a muscular workout because you're pushing and pulling. You got an endurance workout. You got all these different things. Um, but at the end of the day, so you're, you're at the end of the session, you're exhausted, but then you're sitting around the mats and your guard is just like down. Like people are vulnerable. People are exposed. I found that the easiest time I have sharing the gospel and having conversations about like what happens after you die. And I'm talking to atheists. I'm talking to guys, you know, that, that are Muslim or I'm talking to just, just people from different backgrounds. I've seen some of the biggest fruit happen on the mats after 
I just armbarred my friend and after my other friend choked me out and all these different things like this is just crazy. It's like pandemonium ensued. We were beating each other up. And now we're talking about like, you know, what does it mean with, you know, with my Christian friends, what does it mean to be like a good godly father and stuff like that? And so um, aside from the idea of, of like being able to defend myself and aside from the idea of being able to defend my family, like the, the brotherly love that, that happens at the end of class is one of the coolest things. Yeah. So I, I love that the physical component, like the physical component keeps me feeling good. Um, but that kind of emotional component is, is really helpful too. I love it. It makes a lot of sense too, because when you are, especially the one-on-one, so that camaraderie comes out in team sports as well, like football, basketball, but in the one-on-one battle in a competitive, but not cutthroat sense, like you're not trying to kill each other in that moment when you very well could kill somebody with jujitsu. Yeah. It's like, there's a level of trust there that is like, I'm going to put you in an arm bar, but I'm not going to shatter your arm or I'm going to choke you out, but I'm not going to actually like kill you. And you're, you're like, there's some trust there already. And so I like the guard down observation at the end of it. Cause it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, awesome. Brian, what is one action step you can take right now to meet that mentor who has been through that, those highs and lows? Ooh. Well, I think that, you know, it's funny because I, I, I've never said that. Um, I've never told anybody that. So you're, you've, you've asked great questions. And so I think that, that you, you drew that answer out of me. So probably coming on your show today was probably the first step, but I would say, you know, how can somebody else, not everybody's going to come on your show. I think it's just maybe asking yourself those questions, right? Like, I, I think that that was important. So you, you drew something out of me. So probably, yeah, the next step would be to, um, maybe bring that up in conversation a, a little bit more um, and bring that up and, and, you know, letting people know that, that, that are around me, maybe in those, those post jujitsu sessions where the guards down um, I can be a little bit more like, uh, you know, Hey, Hey guys, like, you know, here's, here's kind of what I'm looking for. I'm looking to be held accountable. I'm looking for some mentorship. Um, uh, you know, I think putting it out there is, you know, it, it's, it's going to be based on network effect. Like I'm not going to just like put up a Facebook post and be like, yeah. Hey, I need a mentor. And that, I mean, maybe, maybe that happens, but it's probably going to be through the social network that I have of people, um, through the church or, or, or through, you know, uh, you know, my community, community networks and stuff like that. So I think just being honest with people, uh, I think that's going to be the next step and, uh, not being afraid to, uh, look a little vulnerable. I love it. I love it. Brian, I do have a couple more questions for you, but we are at time. So I know you got a class, you got to teach your kids. Do you need to go right now? I, you know what? I do. I hear them like running around out there. So uh, I got you. Yeah, man. All right. I got you. I'll have to send you the other questions. You'll just have to send me your answers. Yeah. Yeah. Brian, thank you for coming on the show. Guys, thank you for listening. We will see you on the next one. And on that note, we're out. Guys, thanks for listening. Make sure to reach out to our guests and help them accomplish their dreams and goals if you resonated with them. If you're looking for any intentional masterminds or one-on-one coaching to accomplish your dreams and goals, make sure to check out the website, workwithtimmydouglas.com, and contact me either there or on social media. That's all I got. Have a blessed day.